Hello and welcome in. We appreciate you joining us for the latest edition of the Freary and Smith podcast. Before we talk some more Sunbelt football, we wanted to give you a reminder, if you haven't already listened to our last episode where we took some time to dive in and preview the Sunbelt East Division, we also handed out our preseason awards. You're definitely going to want to take some time to listen to that episode. Today on episode 93 of the show, we're going to be previewing the, the Sunbelt West Division ahead of the 2023 season. Can Troy live up to last year's lofty hype? Is South Alabama the early favorite for the Sunbelt Conference title? Will Louisiana take a step back toward title contention? Does Southern Miss have the makings of a dark horse? And does either Texas State or Arkansas State get into bowl contention this year? We're going to answer those questions and more. Caden, last year at this time, all the talk was centered around the Sunbelt East Division heading into media days, but it was the West Division and the Troy Trojans that ultimately produced the league champions. What needs to happen this year for the West Division to once again rule the Sun Belt? Yeah, I think the path for success out of the West is just going to come out of one team owning it and being that top dog. The West, that's no secret compared to the East, is a lot more top-heavy. And I think one of the teams at the top of this side is going to have to establish themselves early. They're going to have to win every game they're supposed to win on their side. They're just going to have to be dominant and kind of run the table, I think, as far as their side of the division goes. So I think there's obviously potential. There's some great teams at the top of this side of the conference that can come out and be champions. It's going to be about can they handle business consistently week in and week out, very similar to how Troy did last year. They were very suspenseful in how they did that, but week in and week out, you saw a W by their name in the win-loss column. Hey, much like last year, the Sunbelt West Division, it could be decided on November 2nd when South Alabama and Troy play each other. Will there be a spoiler? We're certainly looking out for that. Well, as we promised, we're going to be previewing the Sunbelt West Division in this episode. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to jump right into today's topic. All right, everyone. As promised, we're previewing the Sunbelt West Division in today's episode. Caden, I'm looking at my document. and I've got about 2,200 words. I won't say them all in this episode, but I'm excited to talk Sunbelt West Division, Caden. I can't guarantee you that I won't say all my words because I'm really excited about this side of the conference as well, but we'll do our best. We'll try to keep this a little bit shorter, keep it more concise for the listeners. Well, Caden, as we did on our Sunbelt East division, I went ahead and ordered these teams based on Vegas win projections that over under. Uh, we've got two teams at the top of the West division that both have over unders at eight wins. So I went ahead and went with last year's champion first. I think you'll be okay with that. So let's talk the Troy Trojans. They come into 2023 over-under sitting at eight wins this year. They play a middle-of-the-pack schedule, fourth most returning experience in the league. They've got 12 starters coming back from last year's championship side. Caden, on the offensive side of the football, Gunnar Watson's back after winning that SBC title MVP last year. He's faster, more athletic. Kamani Vidal's back as well. He was one of four 1,000-yard rushers. You've got Memphis transfer Asa Martin in. That could be an even more lethal one-two punch than last year. Uh, you've got Barber and Rogers back from injury. They're going to try to replace Tej Johnson and, and, and Rajay Johnson at wide receiver. Uh, the offensive line, though, took a big hit when you lose your left tackle, Austin Stidham and Jake Andrews to the draft. So they'll look to kind of rebuild that group with some key transfers. Caden, I don't know about you, but I'm expecting another big offensive year from the Troy Trojans. Yeah, but before we talk about their offensive year this year, I have to talk about last year's team. And I'm going to finally say what everyone has been scared to say for so long about this offense and this team. The Troy team that won the championship last year, that was the worst offense to ever win a Sunbelt championship. I had to go back 
to post the conference championship era in 2006 when Troy and Middle Tennessee shared a conference title to find some teams that averaged less than 25 a game and won the championship. Those teams both averaged 22.8 points per game. The good news was their defense was fantastic. They played winning football at the right time, especially in the fourth quarter, late in the season, late in games. They were clutch, and there's no other, there's no stat for that. I can go through all the stats. I can tell you they weren't a top five passing offense. They weren't a top 10 rushing offense in the conference. They were the number eight scoring offense. Gunnar Watson was the most sacked quarterback in the conference. Only Kyle Bantrese threw more picks than him. You can say all this stuff. Would you, you can say all, all you want about this Troy offense, but at the end of the day, they were clutch last year. They came through. Their defense came through. Their run game came through late. And the good news is I do think they can improve. This year, you have Eli Russ from Oklahoma State and Colby Smith from Auburn to kind of bolster up the offensive line after some of those crucial losses. We talked heavily about how we love the addition of Asa Martin in that backfield and the skill set he brings. But the like you mentioned it a little bit, that wide receiver lo- room losing Tess Johnson, losing Deshaun Stoudemire, losing Rajay Johnson, there is going to be a lot on the plate of Jabray Barber in the Kentucky transfer, Chris Lewis, who has a big body, who's a different kind of body type for them, but hasn't really shown a lot. I'm worried about the consistency of this offense, the pass catchers and their ability to protect Gunner. But the offense was a wild card last year, and I think on paper it's going to be a wild card again this year. I love that they have a lot of pieces coming back that understand that championship level of playing and what it's going to take. But I'm not rushing to bet against this offense by any means. I'm just pointing out the concerns and knowing that they have shown me they can sue those concerns and still win football games despite those concerns. But I think it is something we have to look at heading into the season. And the expectations are just kind of a wild card. You don't really know what you're going to get. Yeah, Kane, it will certainly be interesting. I did want to thank you for costing us uh, with that take. We probably won't get a rat poison uh, retweet from John Summerall uh, after how you talked about the offense, but there is some upside there. I'm interested to see as well, cautiously optimistic as I believe you are as well. Kane, defensively, uh, when you talk defensive side of the football for the Troy Trojans, you've got to start with that defensive line. It could be one of the best in the group of five, maybe even the country this season with TJ Jackson, Javon Solomon, and Richard Jubinar up front. Uh, the linebacking core is where I'm concerned with Troy. They're taking a big hit. You lost the program legend, Carlton Marshall. I feel like he has been the most mentioned player on the Prairie and Smith podcast in the last year. Uh, you also lose TJ Harris and uh, KJ Robertson. Kane, it feels like they're going to pl- need to plug some major holes in that that unit. But then you look at defensive back, where that should once again be a strength. You bring back all Sunbelt corner, Reddy Stewart. You've got Del Pettis back there. Uh, seven of the top eight tacklers are back, and that unit could once again be a top 25 unit this year. Kane, I'm a little concerned about the losses at linebacker, though, for Troy heading into the season. Yeah, the fact that you can lose major losses and guys who had high volume tackles for this team last year and Carlton Marshall, Craig Slocum and KJ Robertson, the fact that they can lose that and I'm still not nearly as concerned as I probably should be just shows how impressive this group is. These players, not only as players that they lost, but the leaders they lost, it's you can't replace that. But I'm just very confident in this team and what they did last year, the defensive culture they've set up there and how they know that. At the end of the day, just like last season, there's probably going to be more on their plate versus the offense. Greg Gasparato comes in the new defensive coordinator. That's someone that I've played for. He's been my position coach. I have a lot of confidence that his knowledge of the game paired with kind of the talent they have, especially up front and the standard they have is going to work well. But we've talked about this front seven being able to stop the run and getting after the quarterback. And it's going to be hard to find a better unit at doing that this year than this Troy group that they have up front. We talked about the trio of TJ Jackson, Richard Jubiner, Javon Solomon, they're all going to give running backs, linemen, uh, tight ends, quarterbacks, whoever's in their way, whoever's in the way to get eligible to get in the way of these guys, they're going to have a problem. And I think the 300 pounders in the middle, the up front, the Buddha Joneses, the AP Pierce, the AJ Pierces, 
there'll be a big difference in this team as far as getting those guys freed up last year. And I think if they can do that, this will be like we like you mentioned, a top 10, 20 unit in the country. I think we talk about the secondary. We're fans of Del Pettis. We're fans of Reddy Stewart. The two of them are going to benefit, I think, from those guys up front putting in work. And I think this kind of goes for both sides of the ball. But the transfer exit in the the giant senior class this team lost, Troy's 2023 signing class between their high schoolers and their transfers is 37 deep. That's 19 high schoolers. The rest are college and junior college transfers. Both sides of the ball, I anticipate a lot of new faces that are going to have to make an impact. But I think Coach Summerall showed us how early and how often he can establish that culture. He did it so fast. And in, in year two, I expect a lot of the old players who were there last year to kind of pass that down to the new players and it to get adopted very quickly. We're going to see the same level of heart. We're going to see the same level of character from this team. And I think it's going to be a championship caliber team because of that. So as far as those linebacker positions and maybe even some of those offensive positions, we have some concerns about. I just feel like the standard now is so high at Troy that those new talented faces are going to rise to the top and going to be successful for this squad. Yeah, and Caden, to your point, they're going to have to do it quickly because, you know, when you look at that Troy Trojan schedule, you go to Kansas State early on in the season. That was a team that played for a Big 12 title uh, last year. You've got James Madison at home, uh, Western Kentucky at home. So, man, uh, things are going to get interesting very quickly uh, for the Troy Trojans. Well, Caden, let's move on to the other projected eight-win team in the Sun Belt West Division. That's South Alabama, where they play the fourth-hardest schedule in the league this year. Only Georgia State, ULM, and Southern Miss have harder schedules, according to Phil Steele. They are, though, the most experienced team. They bring back 18 total starters, and, and that doesn't even include Keith Gallman, who's coming back uh, from injury. Caden, offensively, I love this South Alabama team. They've got nine starters back. You've got Carter Bradley, who I will go on record with saying might be the best quarterback in the Sun Belt this year. He is rewriting the South Alabama record books. Um, you've also got LaDamian Webb uh, coming back at running back, who I know you're going to talk about a lot in this episode. You've got Braylon McReynolds there. They could form a dynamic one-two punch. Kane, wide receiver is very interesting. You lose Jalen Wayne to the draft. You've got Colin Lacey back, Devin Voison as well. And then to top it all off, you bring in the Memphis transfer, Javon Ivory, who's going to take the lid off defenses. Uh, the O-line is loaded, four or five starters back. James Jackson, the only departure. Kane, South Alabama scored 31.2 points per game. They had 424 yards of total offense per game last season. Could they be the league's top offense this season? They definitely can. And I don't know if this is saying a lot or saying a little, but I think the competition is pretty slim in this category. You've got Coastal, I think, is the really only other offense in the running. But this is the best and most scary, Maybe I think. Maybe Georgia like, Southern? Yeah, possibly, possibly. The quarterback position being so important, though, I do believe in Davis Brin. But I think just the continuity this team has, it's the best and most scary offense in the league. I think it's hard to deny when you combine the continuity, what they earned, and the icing on the cake is what they've added, I think. I'm very excited to watch Carter Bradley. This is an opportunity that we haven't seen in a while in the conference. We have Todd Santeos and the Kyle Van Treese of this conference that came in as quarterback transfers and made that instant impact, but only had one season to show it. We never got to see them build on the great seasons they had. We get to see Carter do that now and see if he can take his game to an even higher level. His stats and production, especially in key moments, were big for this team last year. And maybe we see that interception total go down. Maybe we see the accuracy go up a little bit. Whatever small area of his game he can get better is going to go a long way for this offense, especially when you pair it with that run game. Like you mentioned, LaDamian Webb being an absolute monster who just rounds out this offense. And is a reason why it's undeniably balanced because of what he brings to the table. The key is going to be him staying healthy. Two of those three losses they had last year were two games where they didn't rush for 100 yards. 
He was a big part of that. He wasn't healthy versus Troy. That was one of those games. And I'm very, very excited to see the potential and the emergence of Braylon McReynolds. He had two starts as a true freshman last year in Webb's absence. And I think his his size, his speed, his versatility, his ability to catch out of the backfield, it's going to be a perfect fit for that one-two punch. I think it could go for the best one-two punch in the conference this year coming out of the backfield. And at wideout, I mean, you lose Jalen Wayne, especially in the touchdown category. That's a big loss. He was leading this team in receiving grabs. But when you return two of the top receivers in the conference, when top 10 guys in Devin Voice and in Colin Lacey, I think it puts everyone's minds at ease and mobile. These are guys that both had career years last year going for 800 plus yards. And I think both of them will now be looking and excited to get more scoring targets and add more to their production this year, maybe be more of those go-to guys. And also love how they have different skill sets. And when they bring in Javon Ivory, who's a bigger body that has proven production at this level, just have to love the receiver room as well. They also bring a pair of Mississippi State offensive linemen that they really only need to play, replace James Jackson at center as an all-conference guy up there, but their offensive line is going to be impeccable. There's just not a lot to not like about this offense unless you didn't like it last year, and it was great. So very confident in this unit. I think this is going to be between Coastal and maybe Georgia Southern, probably the scariest unit to play, at least early on in the season, just because you know that they're going to be the same as they were last year, if not better, versus there's not nearly as many question marks across the league. Yeah, not a lot of holes on that South Alabama offense, Caden, but it's their defense that uh, makes them kind of that early title favorite, I believe. They've got nine starters back on that defense. They will have one of the league's elite defensive lines this year. We talked about Jamie Sheriff when we ranked our uh, top 10 defensive lineman. I believe he came in at number six um, during that episode. You've also got Wykebius Thomas up there. Plus, Quentin Wilfon moves into that wolf role this season. He's back from injury. Kane and that linebacking core might even be better. You've got kind of Yam Banks in that Husky role alongside Trey Kaiser and James Miller. Plus, you've got Keyshawn Brown uh, back at linebacker, so loaded there. Uh, and that secondary, Caden, it's interesting. We've talked about it a lot during the offseason. You lose Darrell Lord Luter, so you're down an elite cornerback. Uh, but you've still got Jaden Voison back there, plus you get Keith Gallman back. Uh, they lost a couple of cornerbacks in the offseason. Caden, does that worry you, or is South Alabama, South Alabama going to be just fine on defense? I think they're going to be just fine. They have an embarrassment of riches in the secondary that we'll talk about, but I think the big question heading into this episode for me personally was which do I like better, South Alabama's offense or defense? And that's a great question to have when they're both very, very good units. And then up front, they're anchored by Wykevius Thomas at the nose, who we didn't give a lot of credit to in the defensive line episode, but he's very good at plugging those gaps and being disruptive, allowing guys like Jeremy, Jamie Sheriff, like a Brock Higdon, who I think could take a leap this year as a six, seven pass rusher who's super long and athletic and be disruptive in the run and pass game. I'm not worried about this team up front, especially with that linebacking duo of Trey Kaiser and James Miller, two veterans that could be argued as a top um, duo in the conference as far as linebackers go. I know we speak very highly of the JMU duo that they have at linebacker there, but this group is very, very experienced. This front seven held teams to 88 yards on the ground last year per game. Only JMU was better in the conference, and I have all the confidence in the world in them up front. But when you talk about that secondary, especially when you talk about just having confidence up front in general, when you have guys like Jaden Voison who led the team in tackles last year coming down and a very similar player in Keith Gallman returning, who's also a high-volume tackler, there's just not a lot to worry about in the run game for this team. And then on the flip side of that, when you have guys like Yam Banks who can line up anywhere and can be super versatile, probably the most versatile player in the conference on either side of the ball. I have high hopes for Marquise Robinson at corner. They also bring in Purdue and Oklahoma transfers in the secondary who aren't really experienced, but do have highly ranked like high school product. They have a, a name as far as the recruiting world. They're a very high ranked recruit, so they might be able to be plug and play players as well for this team. 
Very curious to see how defensive coordinator Corey Batum does. Just curious to see what he does with this group. He has an embarrassment of riches in the secondary. He has a ton of options on third down, especially when you look at what their front seven looks like. I think they're going to be able to complement this secondary well. They're going to have a ton of versatility. They can use a ton of different looks. And I think it might not show consistency because they have a pretty hard schedule, but I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the season if this is regarded as kind of the consensus best defense in the conference, if they maybe take a step above Troy, just based on what they have up front and coming back on the back end as well. Yeah, I do not think that that is a a surprising take there. Caden, you were high on the South Alabama team last year, maybe a year early, uh, but certainly they are looking like one of the favorites in the Sunbelt West and perhaps overall, maybe even in the group of five. Caden, at number three here, again, third highest win total production out of Las Vegas. It's the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns at six and a half wins uh, in the Sunbelt West. They are playing the easiest schedule in the Sunbelt, according to Phil Steele. They are a middle-of-the-pack team when it comes to experience heading into this year with nine total starters returning. Caden, offensively, you've got to start with the three-way battle at quarterback. You've got Ben Wooldridge, you've got Chandler Fields, and even Zeon Chris after he got a lot of reps in the offseason with the two that I previously mentioned dealing with injuries. It doesn't look like Wooldridge is going to be ready for September, and so probably it comes down to Chandler Fields and Zeon Chris, uh, who really had the door open for him. Caden, they lost Chris Smith at running back, but they're bringing back three of their top four, including Draylon Washington. At wide receiver, they're down four of their top seven wide receivers, including all Sunbelt, Michael Jefferson. So I think you can expect a slight drop-off there from the Ragin' Cajuns. Uh, They're going to be bringing back three full-time starters on that offensive line, which I probably think will be a strength for them this year. Kane, much like App State had a down year last year, Louisiana didn't live up to expectations either. Are you expecting to see a rebound from them in 2023? I think so. I think so. I'm not 100% sure, but we have to just call it what it is outside of the wide receiver position and the emergence of Michael Jefferson across the board. This offense as a whole really took a step back last year. Ben Wooldridge and Chandler Fields combined didn't really touch the consistency that Levi Lewis was able to attain at the position. Chris Smith kind of looked like a shell of himself compared to what he looked like the year before. And I think that just this team has been running the ball well forever. And this was the worst rushing season they've had on the ground since 2011, 141 yards per game on the ground they struggled just the o-line struggled it was just not a good year running the ball just didn't look like the louisiana team we're accustomed to seeing there's lots of changes in inexperience last season but then the good news is i think that could result in improvement especially up front for this unit they took their lumps they weren't as experienced last year but they don't have a ton of depth either really but i think they will be able to run the ball better just because they took some of those lumps last year at the offensive line position and i do think the duo of draylon washington and terrence williams i have high hopes for them i think they'll be a great unit i think this Unit will be able to run the ball a little bit better. Michael Jefferson is a huge loss at wideout for this team that does not bring a ton of experience back at all. The tight end Neil Johnson returns, and he was the team's second leading pass catcher, was his big. But when you have Errol Rogers, Golden Ecke, and Dante Fleming all hit the transfer portal at wideout for me, it's not a good sign. And I didn't know if I was going to get into this right now or save it for later, but Dante Fleming stays in state and goes to Tulane, and he's going there along with Cam Pedesco on the defensive side of the ball at safety. Trey Amos goes to corner. The cornerback who was great goes to Alabama. I do not like the vibes of that at all. I don't think it's a great sign for the program that they couldn't keep those good players on the team. I'm not counting them out, but the optics of that just don't sit well. I mean, that Coach Des wasn't able to keep some of his top guys and even lose them within the state to Tulane, just not the best look. And then at quarterback, I think they just got to pick one and stick to it this year. I think that was really a big struggle for this offense last year is not being able to get a rhythm just because they were switching in and out so much. I don't know about Ben Wolders' health, but I think he is the guy. He provides that rushing threat. He was at the Manning Passing Academy this summer with some of the nation's top quarterbacks. He's just 
I think this team just straight up looked better around him as well last year. I think he provided a lot more and was just more of the offensive identity they were looking for. But I think if this team just sticks with a quarterback this year, relies on that run game being improved and the offensive line to be improved, they might not have to worry as much about what they have on the outside, how they kind of, kind of how they had to in the past. So I think this team can get better on offense, but I think it's going to have to be because they're consistent at quarterback. They're consistent at offensive line and consistent at what they've been good at in the past with that bread and butter at their offense. Hey, Caden, there is certainly no denying that that did not look like your granddad's Louisiana offense <laughs> last year. Uh, offenses that you would have faced during your playing career, they're going to have to get much better uh, this season. Defensively, Caden, again, you already mentioned a couple of the losses, but they only got three starters coming back on defense. You lose Zion Hill Green, who was your team sack leader up front. Uh, Sonny Hazard, Jordan Lawson are going to have to play you know, much bigger roles and will be a deeper group this year, though. Uh, they need to replace multiple big-time players at linebacker. Jordan Quibito's gone. Andre Jones is gone as well. Uh, we've heard great things about Casey Osai all uh, offseason. Looking forward to seeing him at media days. Uh, he's expected to play a bigger role on that back end, Caden. You mentioned a couple of losses, but there was others. Eric Gar, Gar you've got Braylon Trahan, who's gone as well. You mentioned Podesclo, Amos, uh, both left after spring ball. Caden, UL does not have a single returning starter in the secondary. And for a guy who loves secondaries, that has to be extremely concerning. Yeah, there are tons of huge losses on this defense. And I think most importantly, maybe more importantly, these are losses to guys that were part of this team's championship run two years ago. That's what really worries me. The top four tacklers are gone, like you mentioned. Jordan Quibido, Braylon Trahan, Chris Moncrief, Trey Amos, Cam Podesco, all gone. The secondary all gone. Zion Greenhill, Andre Jones up front. These are players that are very important on the defense, and they're also on all three levels of the defenses, which concerns me. They have spots to fill on all three of the levels. We've talked about how important it is to be a good defense on all of those spots, and I think it's just more of a question mark than it has been in a while in Lafayette. And I kind of touched on it before with some of the optics, but out of the 20-plus they brought in in that 2023 signing class, only five were transfers, all but one were on the defensive side of the ball. And the only one that comes out of the power five level is that linebacker edge from SMU, Trey Fight. So I really don't love what they're bringing in as far as trying to win right now with transfers, it seems like. But Coach Des and the staff are putting a lot of faith in some backups from last year, stepping up in starting roles and being productive. I'm very optimistic about Casey Osai at linebacker holding it down and filling that role and having a great season as a leader of this defense. But around him are a lot of question marks and people are either going to have to step up and uphold that defensive standard that this unit has had, or they're going to take a step back because of their development and the additions not being there. Regardless, I think it's an even bigger challenge this season on the defensive side of the ball, especially for UL, versus when they had that kind of big exodus when Coach Napier left. I think they're losing guys from that championship team and some, and I'm just a lot more areas of concern, I think, than you want to be at UL. It's going to be a big test, I think, for Coach Des to see how the development of their program is. I think it's going to be a big and good reason to get a pulse on their program and kind of see what direction they're heading. Are they going to stay on the level they were last year? Are they going to get better? Are they going to get worse? I think a lot of it's going to come down to his personnel and his roster and his guys. Yeah, if you're Louisiana, the goal has to be get back to a bowl game. You want to start by winning that bowl game. Uh, but Caden, I would tend to agree with you. I'm not sure they're ready to return to that maybe championship contention uh, this season. We will move on to uh, Southern Miss, who checks in at number four in this preview. Their over-under sits at five wins, Caden. And uh, I dug into the schedule. I, As I started to look, though, more at Southern Miss's roster, I like the roster. I just think that the schedule is a little challenging. Uh, they are playing the third hardest schedule in the league this year, the third most experienced unit with 15 total starters returning. Caden, uh, offensively, they return nine starters on offense. And for the second straight year, all we've got to talk about is the quarterback position. It's fascinating. 
Um, they've got Houston transfer Holman Edwards, who's battling Billy Wiles and Zach Wilkie. It looks like Edwards might have a slight edge there. Uh, that USM offense could take a big step forward with slightly better than passable quarterback play in 23. Frank Gore's the running back. Enough said. Jason Brownlee is playing in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers in the Jets. I don't know how you feel about that, Caden, but uh, Jacarius Kasten and Ty Mims are back and could really benefit from improved QB play. Caden, the offensive line could be one of the best in the last several years there with four starters back. Uh, but I'm not sure what to think about the quarterback position. But, Caden, if they get strong production out of that quarterback position, watch out for Southern Miss in the West. Definitely got to watch out for them. And I think on the Jason Brownlee comment, I'm just happy that he has some consistency at the quarterback position. Finally, very happy for him and Aaron Rodgers up in New York. But no, it's, he all, is about too. The, it's all about the quarterback in Hattiesburg, though. Well, it's all about Frank Gore, but we already know what he brings to the table. We, you, if you want to hear us gush about him, we can talk about, go back and listen to the running back episode. But this is easily a top five offensive player in the conference. Had a prolific season last year, over a thousand yards. We know he can even get it done at quarterback. So we know what we're getting out of him. You lose Jason Brownlee, like we just mentioned, but I love the receiving duo of Jacarius Kasten and Ty Mings. Despite that loss, I think Zay Franks, we heard some good things about this offseason as well. I think they will be able to spread it out this season to use those weapons. They have six of their top seven targets back from last year. The offensive line, like you mentioned, a veteran group that has proved that they can more than prove that they can run block, but very similar to Marshall. I think the question is going to be, can they protect the quarterback a little bit better this year? Trey Lowe and Zach Wilkie were both sacked 15 times last season, which is not ideal. But the question is going to be, and the biggest question is going to be, who are they protecting? Like, who is going to be the quarterback back there that they are protecting? You mentioned it, Ty Keys and Trey Lowe are both gone from the portal. Wilkie returns after a rough true freshman season where he threw eight touchdowns and nine interceptions. That's pretty natural for a true freshman kind of getting thrown into the fire. Jake, Jake Lange is also an option. Holman Edwards, Billy Wilds, like you both mentioned, transfer in. But they don't really, either of them, have a ton of experience. Their best bet, in my eyes, kind of seems like maybe getting a step up from Zach Wilkie and having a year of improvement. But I do not think it's ridiculous to say that all of this offense, and dare I say this team in general, is a quarterback away. Not to offend any of the USM fans who think I'm coming for them. The two win, The two-lane win last year was great, but the rest of the teams they beat last year all had losing records, including Northwestern State, a Rice team that wasn't even bowl eligible, but they got there because of their grades. But their losses like Liberty, Coastal Carolina, South Alabama, those were all by a touchdown or less. And the quarterback position being the most important position in the game, that's the difference of those games. That's the difference between losing and winning those close games. I think they've proven they can beat who they're supposed to beat for the most part. And I think a quarterback can take them to another, another level and maybe having some of those teams they had some close games with last year. Yeah, Caden, I, I definitely agree with you. They are a quarterback away on offense, maybe from being a, a true threat in that, that West division. Again, you look at that schedule, uh, it's very challenging early on. You need to take care of business in the middle of the season, and then you probably need to steal one from South Alabama, App State. Both of those games are on the road, as is Louisiana, and then you've got Troy at home to end the season. So uh, things could be interesting in Southern Miss. I, I feel confident that they're going to get to a bowl game, but they might have to to squeeze by based on some of the out-of-conference scheduling that they did. Uh, defensively, they returned six starters. Caden, you lose Dominic Quiwan up front, their leading sack artist, but the USM uh, D-line is going to be amongst the conference's elite again with three starters back. Quiwan was kind of that third down rusher. Um, linebackers, you lose a lot of big names. Dalen Gill, Santrell Latham have departed, but you get Hayes Maples back. Caden, you and I both think he's going to be a top 10 linebacker. Uh, you've got Swayze Bozeman as well, kind of anchoring that group. Uh, secondary, you lose Malik Shorts. You lose two top cornerbacks into Trone Brooks and Eric Scott. 
Okay, now I'm going to go on record by saying I love Jay Stanley back there, and you'll also have some proven starters, but the depth is a bit experienced in that unit. Caden, uh, that nasty bunch was a dominant defense last year. If they are again this year, is Southern Miss that dark horse candidate, maybe like Georgia Southern is in the East? They will be. I think it definitely hinges a lot on the offense. The nasty bunch I'm really excited about after a great season last year with a lot, really just a lack of help from the offensive side of the ball. They didn't really get the attention they deserved. I feel like time, time of possession was a big talking point for me last episode. And for Southern Miss, only Georgia Southern and Old Dominion were on the field more as defenses than this unit. And they were way, way, way better than those units last year. They still managed to be solid, solid across the board. And they were the, even the best at getting after the quarterback with sacks and really just one of the better teams at the line of scrimmage overall in the conference. You talked about some of those big losses up front with Dominic Q1 and two great linebackers up there, but and losing Jay Stanley in the secondary. But I love what this team returns in those spots with players like Avery Habas, with Quinton Bevins, with Hayes Maples, my guy Jay Stanley at safety. I think that I, the continuity, their decision to keep Dan O'Brien in-house within as the defensive coordinator is something I love. And very similar to these Troy teams and these Marshall teams I've talked about in the past on the defense side of the ball. I think the defensive culture has been established, and I'm much less worried about them filling some of those spots and some of those holes they had from last year, especially because if you look at this team kind of compared to some other teams that have to fill some roles, they have some proven production and some guys who have gotten snaps as backups and been productive. So I'm very excited for this defense. But the question is going to be how much more help can they get from their offense? More help on that side of the ball makes this team more complete and a conference championship contender, I think, if they have some elite play at the quarterback position. Or the defense will have to have a Troy-esque season like Troy did last year. And I'd be absolutely dominant on a weekly basis and hope for some clutch plays of their offense. But this team has a formula to win games. It's going to be about can their offensive side of the ball hold up their end of the bargain and take this team to new heights? Or are they going to stay more of the same with a tough schedule? I would bet more of the same just because of how tough their schedule is. But if week one or two, I see some impressive quarterback play, I think it's going to be very easy to jump on this bandwagon for this team as a dark horse riser to come out on top of the conference and maybe just get to seven, eight, nine wins. We'll see. Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, you're probably going to beat Alcorn State to begin the season. I think FSU on the road is really tough uh, in week two. Uh, Tulane, who they beat last year, that could be that could be kind of what this season hinges on. You beat Tulane there, suddenly you go on a roll. Uh, so I am high on Southern Miss, a little bit higher than maybe I thought I was during the offseason, uh, but schedule will certainly uh, be challenging. Caden, moving on to number five here. This is when things start to get a little bit muddy in the Sunbelt West. This is Texas State at four and a half wins. They are in the top half of the league in terms of schedule difficulty this year. Bottom two in terms of returning experience, just 11 total starters and probably nearly 50 guys uh, new on this roster. Caden, uh, spending a lot of time on the offensive side of the football, they're bringing back seven offensive guys. Uh, you've got Malik Hornsby, who I think is that odds on favorite to be the starting quarterback week one. but you bring in TJ Finley from Auburn, which was an interesting curveball to kind of help reload um, that QB room uh, in San Marcos. Uh, the running back room, Caden, I think is going to be solid, but the preseason torn ACL to leading rusher Lincoln Perry maybe hurts the outlook. Um, Caden, I thought this was interesting. When you look at UIW last year, who GJ Kenny coached, they ran the ball 52% of the time. So expect to see another big year out of those Texas State running backs. Uh, the receiver group, I love Ashton Hawkins. He's a potential top five wide receiver in the league, and they've got a lot of talented transfers. Uh, they only have one starter back, though, on that offensive line from last year, but you've got about 10 new faces in that room, including three multi-year starters from Incarnate Word. 
Caden, what do you make of this Texas State offense? Try to decipher it for us. Are they going to you know, live up to the promise and light up the scoreboard this year? I think the biggest contrast is going to be can they translate their game to the Sunbelt Conference that they had at Incarnate Word, but I, the biggest worry is how challenging this schedule is. But this is one of the units I am most excited about this op- upcoming season. I'm drinking some of the Bobcat offensive Kool-Aid over here a little bit. I think between the SEC transfer quarterbacks of Malik Hornsby and TJ Finley, one of these guys is going to emerge as the starter and is going to be able to run this offense at a very high level when they're playing against lesser talent on defense, quite frankly, than they're accustomed to just being used to being at that SEC level. Lincoln Perry is obviously a huge loss in, as far as running the ball for this offense, but I think this team will have to rely a lot on Calvin Harris and the FCS transfer Ismail Mahdi to do good things for this running game. I think the good news is they're going to have to lean a lot more on the receivers and there's going to be more responsibility on the quarterback and the pass catcher. So maybe they did run the ball 52% of the arc incarnate were, but no one was really looking at the run game. Is This is going to be the reason why we're going to win. But i very, very, very optimistic about this wide receiving group. I'm high on Ashton Hawkins, who we mentioned is a top five, could be a top five, definitely a top 10 receiving threat in the conference, who I think could have a breakout season as a shifty slot receiver in this high-tempo offense. They bring in Bo Corrales, who's a big-bodied veteran wide receiver who was a key player at North Carolina a few years back. Cole Wilson is from Incarnate Word, so he knows DJ Kenny's offense and knows that system. So I would not be surprised if this unit was able to have a Georgia-esque type breakout season at wide receiver, kind of unexpectedly, just a lot of guys who get a lot of catches, some high-volume guys. But this team has a ton of transfers on the offensive line. I do worry about the continuity of that offensive line with the transfers. If they can translate the incarnate where guys can translate their game to the Sun Belt, maybe some other guys translating their game as well who maybe aren't as proven. The schedule has a lot of tough defensive units they have to play, so I am worried about is that, that as well. But it's not fun worrying about this team. I'm optimistic about this offense. We've done it for years, been worrying about Texas State, where they're going to be. I'm optimistic. I'm choosing to be excited about this offense this year because I do think there is a lot to be excited about. These transfer guys hit. I'm not saying they're going to be USC in their first season under Lincoln Riley, but if they can just show some some kind of pulse, some kind of life, something for this fan base to get excited about on the offensive side of the ball, I'm supporting it. I think we're going to talk about some of these other teams. I think in this position who have kind of had losing records in the past, at least this offense is kind of trying to have an identity and have something for the fans to get excited about. We saw how big that was for Georgia Southern. So I'm optimistic and excited about this group for sure. I don't know what we're going to expect out of them and what their expectations are, but just excited about a different style and what they're going to be able to do this year. Yeah, Kane, I'd love to see positive uh, momentum in San Marcos. When we had, uh, you know, Michael Barker on on Saturday's episode, he talked about, you know, the upcoming changes to the stadium, how great of a stadium that was. Uh, so I am very optimistic about Texas State, uh, if not this year, definitely into the future. Caden, defensively, I don't got a lot here. They bring back four starters. This is a complete rebuild on defense. A lot of Power 5 transfers. You do have Jordan Rebels back, and he's talented. But, Caden, I've got more questions than answers on defense, and I think we're going to have to just let this play out on the field. Yeah, this was a very solid unit last year. They were in the middle of the pack, ranking seventh in points and yards per game allowed last year. Definitely was not the side of the ball that you would point out if you ask someone, like, why was this team not a winning team last year? I don't think anyone's pointing fingers at the defense. And the good news is Incarnate Word was very similar last year. They were a very solid group. I think the biggest question is going to be, can this defense adjust to being on the field a lot more because of the style of the offense? It's very boomer bust for this offense, I think. They are scoring a lot of points like they're supposed to. The defense will be on the field more regardless, but if they aren't good, it's other could also be on the field too. We know there's two ways to get on the field as a defender, but like the offensive side of the ball is loaded with transfer pieces that are pretty exciting. I think Bryce Cage, Tavian Coleman, Chris Mills are some solid transfers 
that joined this team last year and did well. And I think with a new slew of new additions from the all three levels, from the defensive line to the linebacking core to the secondary, we're going to see how they, if these guys can translate their game and if it can pay off. They have a pair of secondary players from West Virginia. They have Cedric Roberts and Devin White bringing not as much experience, but some size up front for this team. They obviously bring back Jordan Revels, who's a phenomenal edge rusher and threat and one of the best in the conferences. Just like the offense, though, I think across the board, this is a big rebuild. I'm pretty excited about this squad. It's a rough schedule with two straight road games, starting off against Baylor, starting off against UTSA, and starting the conference off two weeks later with trips to Southern Miss and UL. But whether it clicks or not, I think there's a lot to be excited about. I don't know if we're going to see a lot to be excited about early in the season, maybe. But I think as a whole, the direction this team's going in their trajectory, I'm excited about them. I'm hoping it can get some instant results and see some big wins for them maybe early in the season. But I think regardless, long term, I feel a lot more confident about this team and this coach and this culture than some of these other teams we're about to talk about here soon. Hey, we called it the Wild West for a reason. Last year, it gets more interesting if Texas State starts to uh, improve. Caden, at number six, you've got Arkansas State over under at four and a half wins this year. They're going to play the fifth hardest schedule in the Sun Belt, according to some publications. Bottom half of the league in terms of experience with 11 starters back. Caden, you've got five starters back on offense. James Blackman goes to the NFL. JT Strout from Colorado, or Shrout rather, uh, is kind of the odds-on favorite to be that day one QB1. Um, Zach Wallace is in from Ohio Valley, the Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, he's expected to kind of lead that charge from the running back room alongside Brian Sneed. Kane, I'm really interested to see Corey Rucker back as well. I think that's going to be a lot of fun, kind of a blast from the past there in Jonesboro. Uh, this offensive line unit is expected to be better, more interesting with a lot of power five talent and roster holdovers. Caden, are you buying, uh, improvement from Arkansas State's offense this year? I'm on the fence. I think that this team has traditionally brought in transfers before a ton of them, and it hasn't necessarily translated. But I think this class is a little bit more optimistic. I think I'm feeling a little bit more up on them than some of the past units that Butch Jones has brought in. But when you look at this offense, I mean, this is supposed to be a high-tempo, high-throwing offense. So when you rank last in the conference in yards per game, as Arkansas State did, it's not a great sign. The great sign is that Corey Rucker returns, like you mentioned. mentioned he's instantly going to be one of the top receivers in the conference. And I actually like the addition of JT Shrout, the transfer portal guy. He started his career off at Tennessee, so I'm sure Butch Jones is familiar with him, and he started a lot of games at Colorado last year with no help. But I think the experience and the power five ability he brings to the table, and at least he is familiar with playing without an offensive line, is going to be helpful for this guy. I think he has some big shoes to fill statistically in terms of filling in the role for James Blackman, but not in the win-loss category. He hasn't played winning football in a minute, which does worry me, but if he can play some of that, he'll win over this team and this fan base very, very fast. Losing Johnny Lang as that versatile weapon and their leading rusher from last year is a big loss. Seydou Traore leaving the tight end, who was the team's leading receiver last year, is not a, which is not a great sign, by the way, unless you're throwing to Travis Kells. He's also gone. But this team had a giant recruiting class. Like I mentioned, they had a 32-man recruiting class that's actually ranked at the top of the conference. If you look at some publications, 20 of those guys are on offense. Over half of those guys on offense play wide receiver and offensive line. So I think they are kind of putting their eggs in the right basket as far as where they need help on this team. I think there is a chance that some of these transfers and freshmen will have to play, have to be productive. We've seen massive transfer portal overhauls, like I mentioned, with this team. But I think compared to other groups, it seems like they're kind of being more strategic and kind of doing it a little bit better. So I think I have some optimism, a little bit of optimism about Arkansas State's offense heading into the season. Yeah, it will be fascinating. Definitely uh, some pressure there in Jonesboro on Butch Jones to try to turn this around uh, in year three. Only five wins through his first two seasons uh, there. 
Caden, defensively, you're going to be down your top tackler in sack artist Kevon Bennett up front, uh, but they went into the portal to grab several standouts. Uh, Malik Straker, Jaden Harris are both back at the linebacker spot. Expect that to be a strength this year for A-State. They had one of the worst secondaries in the Sun Belt a season ago, but they're gone shopping to improve that position this offseason, and it'll kind of be an open competition at the DB spot. They took a step forward, allowing their fewest points since 2018 last year. Caden, do you feel like they can take another one? I think they can. I feel like I've been talking about a lot of not-so-bad defenses on these episodes, but I do think this was one that also fits the bill a tiny bit, not as much as some other teams, but they did not get a lot of help from their offense, like a lot of bad defenses in this conference, and having bad red zone defense is definitely not ideal, hence why they gave up so many points. But if this team improves, I think, in just that department or on third down, just a couple little areas, I think they do have some potential. They lack some size up front, but they bring some guys from the portal like Alabama State transfer Michael Bland, who I think will allow some guys at linebacker position like Malik Straker, who racked up a bunch of tackles for this team last year. And that Kansas transfer, Gavin Potter, who I'm high on at linebacker, I think will make an instant impact at that inside linebacker spot. They have the personnel up front, some athleticism to do some fun stuff. It's just going to be about execution, which is kind of a lot of the same old song and dance for this team. It's going to be about can we translate that talent into some wins and losses. You talk about the secondary. I think the safety duo of Trevion Thomas and Eddie Smith is pretty serviceable, but losing Kenneth Harris to Oklahoma State's a pretty big loss for that team. He was by far the team's past breakup leader last year. He would have been on the top 10 defensive back list if he would have returned. But I think Thomas and Smith can rack up a ton of tackles. They just need to generate turnovers. Can they be those safeties that make some plays? This team just had six interceptions last year, tying ULM as the worst in the league. But in both of those scenarios, they also struggle at generating pressure. It does not help losing Kivion Bennett. So it's going to be a collective effort for this Arkansas State defense. I think it's going to be about can the defensive line get the secondary better? Can they help the linebacking core make more tackles. I think it's going to be about can this team play a clean brand of football, play efficient, not have busted coverages, and have that talent kind of shine that they haven't been able to have in the past. There's talent in this group. It's going to be about can they execute. Execution and can they win a few football games maybe where they won't be favored. That's what it will take for Arkansas State to uh, get back to a bowl game. Uh, Caden, last up, ULM. They were at the bottom of the conference last year. Uh, one of the worst teams. They're going to try to improve three and a half wins, the over-under this year. Uh, they uh, will be one of the more experienced teams, though, and, but they are playing the hardest uh, schedule in the Sun Belt. Offensively, Caden, they're going to have a new quarterback, Chandler Rogers, out. Insert Jaya Wright, who's going to be at Sun Belt Football Media Days this week. Uh, they lose their top three rushers, but they went into the portal. I like some of the bodies they're bringing in. Caden, we're both super high on Tyrone Howell out wide. Uh, he was a 1,000-yard receiver a season ago, uh, but the depth behind him a bit questionable. On the O-line, they're bringing back their best lineup of players during Terry Bowden's tenure. Uh, Kane, just 22 points a game last year, highest since 2019. Uh, do you think that they can maybe continue some of that positive momentum this year? We'll see. I think a lot's going to come down to the quarterback position and the offensive line like it traditionally does for this team. This offense struggled last year to generate points and yards, yards overall, and I think they just need an identity. They were a bal- When you're a balanced attack and you're a good offense, like it's great when you're able to run and throw the ball efficiently, but when you're trying to have a balanced attack and it's not working for you, that just makes you overall bad at running and throwing the ball. So I think this team hasn't had a true quarterback threat since Caleb Evans in 2019, and that's kind of handcuffed them ever since. I think Chandler Rogers showed some promise last year, but he obviously hits the portal and goes to North Texas. So I think this quarterback room is like, I think you could argue one of the thinnest in the country outside of Jaya Wright, who I think is clearly going to be the starter now with him going to media days. You only have two other guys on the roster. One's a walk-on who got awarded a scholarship despite 
throwing zero passes for this team. So I'm just worried about this personnel of this team as a whole when you were just looking at their roster top to bottom. Taiwan Howell obviously returns, and he's a huge bright spot for this team. He's the 50-50 ball king of the conference, but he doesn't have much help around him. I think Alfred Luke is the only top five pass catcher for this team returns. They bring in Martavius Davis, who has somewhat promising freshman season at Utah State. This team almost... They literally lost every single rusher from last season. They have three running backs that returned from the roster last year that combined for 11 carries and 34 yards. So they're going to have to rely on their transfers. And then the strength of their offensive line and Victor Cutler and Peyton Dunn both moved on to Ohio State and Houston. So I think it's going to be tough for this offense this year. A lot is going to be on the quarterback play and the offensive line play. And can he be protected? I still think they're going to be pretty solid up front, but it's just not looking like it's trending upward as far as this offense goes. I'm scared about their personnel. I'm scared about their identity and I'm scared about their quarterback play moving forward. Yeah. Fascinating. Certainly I'm not as high on them, maybe taking a step forward. I think if they can maintain where they were at last year, that might even be a step forward. Kane defensively, Aiden Huntington, the big transfer out of Kent state is expected to kind of lead that undersized uh, defensive line unit. You've got Tristan Driggers back. He was the team's number two tackler a season ago. Uh, when you look in the secondary for ULM, I do like the secondary a little bit. You've got two starting corners in Lou Tillery and Deuce Mayberry back. Safety Carlin Biggers back there as well. Kane, this was a defense that ranked in the bottom four in most stat categories in 2022. Do they have the, piece, the pieces uh, to improve on those numbers, even if it's slightly? I think they have pieces, but I don't know if they're going to have enough pieces. Some of the transfers are going to have to prove it. I think you mentioned Tristan Driggers up front is a great linebacker safety hybrid that I almost had ranked on my DB list, even though he's kind of a hybrid guy. But I love that he returned to this team after going into the portal, which is a good sign. Kennard Snyder returns as well as one of their most productive players on the defensive side of the ball. But this is a unit that led the conference. They gave up 34 points per game, which is not a great place to start. And it's just a hard place to improve upon, especially when you have big losses up front like a Quincy Ledette who goes to Texas Tech and an Anthony Campbell who goes to Miami. It's just not really good to see some of these teams who didn't have a lot to work with on the defensive or offensive side of the ball go to programs that are Power 5 programs. But I think, like you mentioned, the secondary will be serviceable. They have some exciting transfers with some potential like a Donald Harris and a Travell Johnson. But they've joined an overall team that has more than seven transfers from four different schools and 12 junior college guys. I don't know if that's going to be enough to change things in Monroe. And I'm kind of afraid overall the future of this program if this year doesn't work out for this team, even more so than a team like Arkansas State, who kind of has that winning tradition in the conference. So if you're a ULM fan, I'd buckle up this year, hope for the best, but kind of be ready to expect the worst and hope that this program can maybe take a pivot and just show some signs of life heading into the future of this conference that's getting only tougher by the year. Yeah, certainly trying to get out of the uh, perennial seller uh, if you're uh, the ULM Warhawks. Kane, well, we've previewed all seven teams. You just got a drink of water because uh, you deserved it after that uh, episode. But, <laughs> Kane, let's move on uh, on our Sunbelt East Division preview. We took a moment at the end to just hand out some predictions for, you know, maybe player of the year, um, offensive and defensive player of the years out of just the Sunbelt West. Uh, I let you go first last time, but I'm going to go ahead and take the reins this time. Uh, for me, I'm going with South Alabama quarterback Carter Bradley as my player of the year. Uh, out of the Sunbelt West Division, Caden, I am now on record on this episode with saying I think he's going to be the best quarterback in the Sunbelt this season, uh, given the weapons he's got back. Uh, looking at Offensive Player of the Year, Caden, to me, these two were interchangeable. Uh, I'm going with Southern Miss uh, running back Frank Gore Jr. here. I think that's the easy pick. Uh, expect a huge senior campaign out of the very talented running back uh, for Southern Miss. And Kane, Defensive Player of the Year. 
I wanted to go with a linebacker here, but there just wasn't one of those linebackers that I loved. Uh, so I ended up going with a defensive lineman. I went with Troy's uh, TJ Jackson up front. I think he's going to have a big season kind of leading that tip of that spear for that Troy defense. So I'm going with uh, Troy's uh, TJ Jackson as my defensive player of the year. All solid pick, Noah. All solid picks. I can't disagree too hard, but I did have different guys at some of my spots. So we're going to go with player of the year for me out of the West. I'm going with LaDamian Webb. I think asking for a leap out of Carter Bradley versus asking for LaDamian Webb to stay healthy and be just as productive as he was last season is a little bit more attainable. And I think if he is able to stay healthy all year and just with this balanced Troy attack, I think he's going to maybe be the face of this, or sorry, South Alabama attack. I think he's going to end up being the face of this offense and the face of this team if they do have the year I think they're going to have. So I'm going with LaDamian Webb as my player of the year. Offensive player of the year, it's hard to deny going with Frank Gore Jr. at Southern Miss. I think he's going to double down on the great year he led last year. And depending on their quarterback play, I think it's going to be a win-win for him. If the quarterback play isn't as good as it was, as we're accustomed to seeing, I think that he will have to put his Superman cape on and do great things for this offense again. But I do think if they have improved quarterback play, that means this team will probably have a better win-loss record and that'll get him some more attention as well. And we'll be able to see more of his talents on display. And for defensive player of the year, I'm going to go for Troy, outside linebacker slash edge, Richard Jubiner. I think he's destined for a breakout season. TJ Jackson and Solomon, I think, are going to get some attention up front and their hands are going to be in the ground at those defensive end spots. I think Richard Jubiner is going to be standing up more and going to be able to double down on his great season he had last year. I think he's going to do it all for this team. He's going to get tackles, sacks, TFLs. He's going to force turnovers, maybe block some kicks. I think he's going to be a big impact player whose draft stock is going to rise drastically this year as well. Hey, those are some uh, great picks. I loved over these two episodes, Caden, that uh, I don't think we matched on either one of those, uh, except for maybe Grayson McCall as the quarterback in the East. Caden, uh, I just need an answer here on a, on a team that you think is is going to win the West Division. I have a guess where you're probably leaning. Yeah, obviously when South Alabama last year, I'm doubling down. I think they have a tough, tough schedule that's going to make them battle-tested. And a lot of games they don't even need to win. I think Tulane, they don't need to win. They don't need to win at Oklahoma State. They don't need to beat Marshall to get to where they got to go. Even James Madison. They have a tough schedule, and I think it's only going to make this great team even better and make them be the representative from the West. So give me South Alabama. Yeah, same here, Caden. You bring back 18 starters on the team that won 10 games a year ago. I feel like the over-under is a little bit low. Uh, I think that South Alabama can easily be a 10-win team this year. I think 11 is possible, maybe 12, an outside shot there. So high on the Jags heading into 2023. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Thanks for your continued support of the show throughout the offseason. Uh, we're excited to continue interacting with you as we get set for the 2023 Sunbelt football season. Before you go, don't forget, we're going to be back with the next episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast on Friday. Caden and I will recap an exciting Sunbelt Media Days in an episode featuring one-on-one -on -one interviews with some of the Sunbelt's biggest stars. Well, that'll do it for us here at the Prairie and Smith Podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and the show out. We're going to continue to bring you great content as we get you set for the start of the season. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Brary. Thanks for joining us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.